bonjour. I usually say that one first, but I didn't. This is the Misfit Fantasy Football Podcast. I am Jacob Dupree, a.k.a. your commissioner. I said your commissioner on purpose. Um, we are a Dynasty Mostly Focused Podcast with a little touch of redraft. We need to do an Empire mock on here. Um, I am accompanied by my always very special, quote-unquote, accomplice chance. How are you doing tonight, amigo? I'm excited. We've got some football activity actually happening now. Not not everybody started training camp, obviously, but we've got a decent amount of teams that have started, so I'm excited. It's, it's actually like actual factual football information. New things are happening, and it's 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 just exciting because as of this recording, July 24th, the first preseason game is 10 days away. Hall of Fame game? Hall of Fame game, August 3rd. I, I'm, I believe it's the Jets in somebody. Oh, and Rogers in that game. Oh no, <laughs> it's the Jets and the Browns. But um, you probably get a series of Deshaun Watson in that. Yeah, you get a series of Deshaun Watson. You'll have Brees Hall making eye contact with the field. You know Garrett Wilson looking at the field and stuff. You get to see them dress up and go through warmups. Yeah, it's still fun to be ahead. It'll be fun. Let's put it this way. It's at that point for me where even preseason football is delicious and amazing. And like, I need to just engorge on every single bit of it. Yeah. Like the way I see it is like bad football is still better than like most good other sports for the yeah. most part. <laughs> it, listen, preseason is kind of like a hamburger. A bad hamburger is still pretty good. But when you get to the regular season and you get that like Wagyu beef for the burger, that's just when it's just. Mm. All of it's pretty good. Anyways, news. So I was working out this morning. I looked up on the TV and I saw, I know, right? Casual, subtle flex on everybody there. Um, <laughs> I looked at, I looked up there and I saw that a certain ESPN analyst, I'm not going to say his name out of respect for the man and all three things he's done in his career. Um, there was a question on if Odell Beckham would surpass 1,200 yards receiving this year. And the gentleman believed it and said that, yes, it's a problem, not just a probability or possibility, but a probability. And for me internally, I was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I'm, I, this is just has nothing to do with anything. But like, is this pertinent? Because also on a side note, ODB said 2023 is probably his last year of playing. He's said that in a couple of outlets have grabbed it and spun it out there. But anyways. Do you think ODB gets 1,200 yards receiving on this Baltimore Ravens-led team? No, no, that seems <laughs> crazy to me. Now, now maybe, maybe that the odds of that go up with Rashad Bateman starting training camp on the yeah. So That's not enough for me to uh, to shoot him up to 1,200 yards by any means. That's just that, – that's nutso to me. To me, that's like – to me, that would require not just – and I know I'm the resident Lamar hater. That would require him doing something he's probably never done and throw for more than, like, 3,500 yards, right? That sounds about right. Yeah, he'd have to throw for more than that. And Zay Flowers would have to be just dookie. Rashad Bateman would have to never show up. And then Mark Andrews would have to suddenly become, like, Shark Bandrews or someone that's not himself because I just don't see that happening. Um, okay, something that's a little bit more – applicable to rookie draft specifically. Kendra Miller was active from the pup list. Listen, this is the time of year where you see someone go on the pup. Don't freak out unless they got like actively injured in the training camp. Don't freak out because if they're placed on the pup in the train in training camp, they can be taken off whenever. And it means absolutely nothing. Like for instance, 
Kendra was placed on it yesterday, and then today he was taken off. Got a sneeze. Well, and let's go ahead on that same train of thought because you just mentioned it. That of the people, or I should say, players that either have come into training camp with some sort of injury on the pup, and those that have already accumulated one, uh, I think the biggest name has got to be Kadarius Tony, right? I mean. Uh-huh. There's already talk of it seems as though this is already going to be an extended absence that at this point's office is not going to carry into the regular season. But I mean, when you're shagging punts and you're already <laughs> you're already tweaking stuff and you have an injury history, it's it's not mm, good. I mean, to to loosely quote one of the fantasy footballers in reference to Kadarius Tony's Kadarius Tony <laughs> Kadarius Tony's like legs, they're like really old rubber bands that's been in the freezer. You barely pull them and they pop. I kind of feel like I'm at that point with him to where I, he might be explosive. I really don't care. He's never on the field. That's why I've been on the Sky Moore hype train since 2022. Hashtag believe it. Also, side note, there's been a lot of good quotes about Sky Moore coming out from Andy Reid and from beat writers watching practices. They've said that he's been set, not, set up in every situation to succeed and that Andy Reid's going to make him, you know, basically give him every opportunity to be useful. Um, and since we're already on the Chiefs, what scatterbrained, I don't care. We will. I'll throw this out there. Rishi Rice. Every time I open my Twitter feed, it's like Rishi Rice caught another touchdown from Pat Mahomes today. Look at this, and it's actually a pretty good contested catch. Um, is is this like? Are we going to see a rookie be useful for Andy Reid's offense this year? And this will kind of spill into our later topic. But like, it's one of those things of we've seen it consistently. I know that they might be one of like like ten teams or something that's in training camp so they're kind of searching for everything but it's just the fact that it's consistent it's daily it's he's making contested catches over guys through guys around guys and he might be puking during conditioning but guess what that's a man's man he's like i like the puke means he's getting in shape (laughs) it depends on what you're comparing it to i mean i and going back a year well i'll say we'll compare it straight to sky more because i i still have a little bit of a thought process that you know, Andy Reid hates rookies. So carry on. Right. Maybe you're the one to ask on this. My memory mm-hmm. of last offseason is that it was largely negative related to Sky Moore. Not that he couldn't play. It was just that, you know, he's coming from a very small school in Western Michigan. Uh, and he played receiver for two years. Right. And so it was more of the guy has talent, but he has a lot to learn just in basic schematic as far as the offense and things of that nature. Um, Whereas this situation, maybe he comes along a little bit easier than th- in that. Um, and he's already getting positive reviews. I don't remember um, Sky Moore getting a ton of positive reviews right as training camp started last year, but I could be totally wrong about that. I think if you're expecting him to have as bad a season as Sky Moore had, I, I wouldn't buy that. I think he'll do much better just because it's, it's hard to have that bad of a rookie season from, from a production standpoint. But... Um, He's not somebody that I would immediately want to trust to be my wide receiver three at this point. I might want to draft him, and he's somebody that I think can pick up steam, especially as the season continues and we get in the second half and he gets more acclimated. That's kind of whenever I'm looking to, you know, kind of pop the top off this bottle, so to speak. Mm. Uh, but, it, but it's encouraging. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, with how much we try to downplay the rhetoric in training camp, and we'll continue to preach that for the most part, um, 
you would still rather have positive news than negative news when it comes down to it. So if my memory serves me correct, last year during the offseason, there were some pretty good puff pieces about Skymore. It wasn't anything special or particular. Um, but like, you know, it wasn't like we're seeing with Rishi Rice. And I'm not sitting here saying Rishi Rice is going to be the next big thing because I do specifically remember a couple of times where Sky Moore caught a couple of 45-yard bombs in between two safeties from Pat Mahomes, and everybody freaked out, including yours truly. Um, so I do think, you know, we we do need to temper our expectations. But once again, we'll talk about Rishi later on in the back half where we talk about rookies. It's going to have a rise in ADP, which is going to impact, you know, later rookie drafts, which is us, unfortunately. Breaks my heart. We have the criminals draft in like 19 days, and I am stoked about it. I get to put some rookies on the squad. Um, so we will, like I said, we'll come back to that. Um, someone that's been getting a lot of puff, like as of, I think it was today and yesterday, Jerome Ford, by the way, on all three of my dynasty rosters, <laughs> um, my phone just keeps lighting up with Jerome Ford, like the Browns brass expresses confidence with Jerome Ford. They think he's a special player. Nick Chubb made this comment, head coach made this comment. So, I mean, he's a guy that I think if you are in a dynasty league that I'm not in, you should check your waivers because he might still be out there. I know we talked about him, I believe, way back whenever they like just let go of Kareem Hunt. Or we talked about how Kareem Hunt was on his contract deal. We said to probably pick him up because what happens? I believe last year he was a third round pick or fourth round pick out of Cincinnati going to yeah. Cleveland. Yeah. Um, but they've just been talking up a lot of him. And like, let's put it this way I think, while I'm not going to be as bullish as I would, would be on like Kareem Hunt a couple years ago. I would say that there's definitely a role for him in the Browns offense with everybody healthy. Then God forbid something happened to Nick Chubb, who's now 27, 28. He's kind of at that running back awkward line. So if something does happen, you might be looking at the, you know, lead dog for a Cleveland Browns offense. Yeah. I think of, of really, he's one of the best handcuffs in fantasy that you can have. And he's, he's certainly going to be top of the list. Probably when you're talking about, handcuffs that aren't really talked about or at mm-hmm. least talked about it, let's phrase it that way um i don't think he's going to reach standalone value like cream hunt did his first year in cleveland he might be a flex but, guy that you could throw in if he well, needed it I, I would say that he'd be a guy that if you're in the biggest of pinches that you can at least put him in there and you know that he's going to give you a, a you know not a terrible floor let's put yeah. it that way a fighting chance at points right but he's one nick chubb injury away from being somebody that's going to be vaulted into that top I'd say 14-ish running back, which is great. And um, I think Nick Chubb's contract is getting close to coming up too, right? I think I think next year he's going to be in the same situation the Saquon Barkley's and the Josh Jacobs of the world are in right now. Which is very sad. Did you hear that they had like a, a meeting of the running backs on a Zoom conversation? Yes. So we can only imagine what those conversations were like. But, um, you know, I'll be curious to see how this works out. You, you, you understand that. There's only a few levers these guys can pull, but it's hard to see the real leverage these running backs have from the standpoint of you can you can miss the season. You can, mm-hmm. but you just won't accrue another a, a year and then you'll be right back in the same situation. Next I feel year. like I feel like Nick Chubb brought it up in the perfect way. Supposedly like Austin Eckler, the guy who kind of started the meeting up and stuff, he kind of said it the best from what I've heard. He had a quote that said, As a running back, it kind of sucks because the better we do, the less they want to pay us because they think that we got more wear, wear and tear on our bodies, so we're not worth the next contract, so they don't give it to us, um, which I thought was – I mean, it's very true. It's the ironic thing about being a running back in today's NFL. Sure. Um, well, and, 
to, to push one last comment on that. The reason why, and I know this is outside of fantasy football to an extent, but it's fine. The reason why it gets difficult when you look at the players that are still on the market, uh, you still have Leonard Fournette and Zeke Elliott, guys that you would think are, are are certainly talented enough to be on NFL rosters by by any means, you know, any measurement we have. But yeah, we have people like Melvin Gordon signing. Mm. Um, Latavius Murray signed a deal. Melvin, yeah, and this is Melvin Gordon who was on the Chiefs practice squad. He, mm-hmm. He's got a Super Bowl ring, but it wasn't on the. It didn't make the you know fifty three man roster in the playoffs. Um, so so you can have as much leverage as you think, but as long as you've got somebody behind you that's willing to take the league minimum or or a incentive laden deal, mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's the contract that these NFL teams would like to give to even these top running backs. Say hey, we'll pay you more money, but you're still not going to have any guarantees. It's all going to be incentive laden. And that's not what these guys want. Uh, but it just puts another wrinkle in the situation that, it, you know, it's not so much how much it's not how, how you can withstand the situation, but it's so much. Oh, so, the next you know, guy. Yeah. The, the third guy, the fourth guy, the guys that really are just looking at a paycheck. How much, how much can they withstand? Okay, so and speaking of, you know, guys who did amazing and now can't get paid, we're going to park on this one for a second because I feel like there's a little bit more depth to it. Uh, Josh Jacobs was spotted this morning on a flight leaving Las Vegas going to God knows where, obviously not going to training camp. Um, the thing is, I've seen a couple of news blurbs come out that say he and the Raiders are still far apart in making an extension. And the fact that it happens right now, like, and he's already come out and said, he's like, I'm not going to be there for training camp. Like straight up, he's like, I'm not going to be there. And so that I feel like as a dynasty manager that does have to throw a shade of doubt in your mind of the like RB one from last year, I believe Josh Jacobs RB two for his dynasty perspective, just because if he doesn't sign and you're a roster that was dependent upon him, you're kind of crap out of luck. Cause I'm not going to sit here and say Zamir White's going to be the next guy up and, you know, be a top 20 running back if he gets everything, cause he probably shouldn't get everything. Um, but, like, if you're a Josh Jacobs manager speaking just to Josh Jacobs, like, what would you do with that whole thing? Because now that there is new information compared to last week when we talked about this, like, he literally was just like, no, I'm not going to be there. I'm not going to show up. He's not going to talk to him. Um, and there's not really a deadline currently set for it. So, and we are, we keep hearing a steady drumbeat, which is kind of unfortunate that Josh Jacobs and Saquon Barkley are willing to take this all the way to week one of the season. Maybe they show up on the roster and they just stand there kind of like Lev Bell did for a little while in um, Pittsburgh as, you know, quote unquote, hold in toward that way his contract tolls, you know, the year. But this is a reality that we kind of have to, that you can address today that's going to help someone out. So like if you're a Josh Jacobs manager who needs him to be a good fantasy roster, like how are you approaching this? Because there's just, so much unknown, and you have to act with the best information you have today. Sure. So at this point, I'm still not panicking or all that worried. Yes, it's not an ideal situation, and it's, it is somewhat scary. But like we just talked about, players sitting out into the season is truly unprecedented. Doesn't mean it hasn't happened. Doesn't mean it doesn't happen. But it's very, very rare. And in the context of the running back position. Most recent example we have of somebody doing it, being Le'Veon Bell, did not work out at all for him. So for me, I'm still going to play to the side of history and say that both he and Saquon will be back 
for the start of the regular season. Now, now, if you tell me they missed the whole training camp, then I'm I could totally believe that. There's no there's no reason for them to have to show up. Why would you risk coming in there and blowing out your ACL, you know, during week two of training camp? So um, I understand the thought process in that, but I'm not worried about them missing games. And yes, I can understand that missing a full training camp, maybe they come in the regular season and they're a little bit sluggish, takes them a little bit to get up to speed. I can understand that thought process, but if you're still asking me, would I be more concerned with someone like those two missing training camp and being there for week one or a Brees Hall or a Javante Williams who are there for a full training camp, but they're coming off major ACL injuries. I'm still going to feel a little bit better about the guys that didn't have, you know, knee surgery a year ago, the first couple of weeks. Um, if we're just putting it to scale, so to speak. So for now, I'm not worried if anything, if there's a manager that has Josh Jacobs or Saquon and they are getting a little antsy, um, check the price, see if they're willing to, to give a better value than, you know, maybe they would have a, a week ago. I mean, certainly for our, our empire league, your redraft leagues, those are the kind of guys that you kind of hope um, do skip training camp and people get, uh, get nervous and they start to fall out of that first and second round. Um, then I'm looking for extreme value if that were to happen. Oh, I think it's time to get nervous. Okay. I, th- well, I think it, I think it's time to start to get on your toes a little bit because if you're a dynasty roster that's expecting Josh Jacobs, A, you should have a backup plan at all times. B, whenever they start talking like this, I mean, because we talked – I heard from – I think it was – there's one of the health people that I follow on Twitter I read that um, basically if they don't have – preseason exercise and training camp and stuff like that, like full pads, contact, all that fun stuff, the rate of injury goes up. And for Josh Jacobs specifically, he has already not been the healthiest of players all year, even though last year he came out supposedly without any bumps and bruises. So if I'm a Josh Jacobs manager, I'm, I am trying to get the security of at least Zamir White while the price is still low. Because the thing is, is the longer you wait, the more the price for Zamir is going to go up. Because if we get to a week before the season starts and Josh Jacobs says, I'm not going to show up. He's like, I've been smart with my money. I've saved up. Screw you guys. I will freaking pay the fine. Then you're in an actual situation where you're scrounging the waiver wire, which in dynasty leagues is non-existent typically for someone who you pray to God can show up and be on the field. um, Unless you just have a deep running back roster, which I hope you do. But if you don't, I do think it's time to make that preparatory action of, overpaying like you know i like as a zamir white manager in a couple leagues if you told me as the josh jacobs manager you're going to send me like a 2024 two or even like you know a early ish mid to early second round pick this year yeah like i would take that because you also know as a zamir white manager the second that he shows up the training camp or he says no i'm gonna play for week one his value disappears entirely so i think that's kind of the the win-win safe trade that you could find now rather than later because the only thing that can really happen is like the expectancy of him playing i i do think he will play the season obviously but i think it's this consistency that we have heard that he's willing to take this as far as it needs to go to get a contract that he deserves like i do think this has a little bit of a different twinge to it than the holdouts of the previous because like now it's not just him there's saquon there's other running backs who's behind them in the cause and in the case of like, look, we're not getting paid. We're getting screwed. These two guys were the top in the NFL last year. They got stopped with the franchise tag and they couldn't get a deal that was, you know, worth what they 
what their value is to the team. So like, I'm not saying panic, you know, red alarms going everywhere, but I am saying it's time to make the preparatory action to plan and to get at least Zamir White or to at least acquire another running back that you feel okay about starting. So a guy like Antonio Gibson, Brian Robinson, just a couple to throw out there. Even seeing, checking the tires on like Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson, guys, you know, guys kind of of that tier that it's not going to cost you an arm and leg to get, but if push comes to shove, they can get you some decent fantasy points here and there. I would be actively making that move because like we said, the further we get, the closer we get to the season starting, the more all those prices are going to increase. And so right now, while stuff is still pretty moot, and I would still say the odds are he shows up week one and plays like nothing ever happened. That's still the, that's still the most likely scenario. But like I said, every day that that doesn't happen, prices get more expensive. Stuff gets more difficult to acquire. People start to get onto you. And so that's, that's why I'm saying I would, I would jump on it today. Yeah. I, I don't necessarily disagree with the thought process. I think it's more for me. I, I have no problem if you want to go out and acquire Zemir White as your handcuff. I just don't know if the price is going to be realistic. I mean, I, I for instance, am someone that has Zemir White. Let's say the Josh Jacobs owner comes to me with a trade offer. To me, I view him somewhat as a lottery ticket. You know, like we know my thoughts on this Josh Jacobs situation. Obviously, I just I just talked about it. Um, but I understand there's a small chance that maybe he doesn't play. And if that's the case, then Zemir White can be, you know, quite valuable. Um, so if somebody came to me right now and said, Hey, I'll send you my 206-207 in this year's draft for Zamir White. Like, that would be something I'd have to seriously consider, and and I'm not sure I would say yes. Well, and that's that's what I was saying, because remember last episode when we had the mock draft, we got to that point, and we asked, it's like, hey, would you rather have this guy or Zamir White with everything going on? And we both had to pause for a second. I Like, that's why I'm saying acquiring that rookie that is sitting there today for someone who, if you try to trade Zamir White and – uh, Josh Jacobs had a contract you get laughed at for, you know, asking for the 206 probably. That's why I'm saying like now, if I'm as a mere white manager, I would be cashing in on whatever you can because there is still that bend and you could play the possibility of, well, he's not there. And he said, he's not going to be there. Heck he flew sure. to wherever without the team. Well, and I think with the Zamir white situation, it, it's a little more unique that yes, he was a later picked running back. So the odds of him being a guy anyway, is not great. I understand that. But he has a little bit more value than just the Josh Jacobs holdout situation because it, it seems very clear to me with the situation that's happened that Josh Jacobs, if he does play a full season this year, is not going to be back next year, if anything, just because the relationship is probably fried. So at that point, Zamir White would seem to at least have a good chance at being the lead back next year. So in the context of Dynasty, he has a little bit more value than just the here and now. And, and that's why I'm saying if you trade him today with everything else, like it's going to be the cheapest value as a Josh Jacobs manager that you could get. And as a Zamir white manager and you and I, we know this. And so we're content with like, if it gets close enough to the season, you could get away with asking for like the one ten. No, I, and that's the thing. I, I agree with your, your thought process on the value and how it's going to increase. I totally agree with that. Yeah. So I'm just saying that if I were a Josh Jacobs manager, I'm not worried enough that I'm willing to give up a mid second for Zamir white. Now, for me, it just comes down to the leverage. Now we can't get inside the mind of these guys, you know. And if they want to do something, they'll they'll do it, and that's more than fine. I just don't see the leverage here because let, let's say worst case scenario, they decide to sit out the season. They just say, hey, "I'm I'm just not coming." That's more than fine, and that'll hurt the Raiders. It'll hurt the Giants. But if they don't play six games, 
then they're going to be in the exact same situation next year. Nothing will have changed. They will not have a crude season. So I just don't see the leverage because if you're the Giants and the Raiders, you just say, hey, set out a season. We'll see you next year. We'll be back in the same thing. Because they not- technically – because because they have offered a contract and haven't rescinded it, as long as it's there when week 10 happens, they can sign it, like I said, like Love Bell did, and just stand on the sidelines because that's exactly what he did for six games. and He just, he just showed up. He didn't do anything. He was just on the field. And so, like, that's how they still get that allotment, you know, the allotment of a year of that contract um, happening. Right. But they've got to be willing to burn, you know, one roster spot of 53, which, and you know, in most terms, like, hey, it doesn't mean anything. But, I mean, that comes down to quite a bit. So, it's, I just – you're right. It could have happened, certainly. For me, I'm not worried about it because I just – I don't see the odds on that side. But you're right that it could be. And if you're somebody that's inclined to think so, then you want to give up a mid-second, then I don't and I don't necessarily have a huge problem with it. I just know that if I was a Jacobs manager, I'm not to that point yet that I'm willing to give it. Um, but you know, there's a lot of people that don't think like me, certainly. <laughs> and that's fine. People can just pay the iron price later. Um, but anyways, uh and another running back news, and we'll move on to wide receivers before we kind of head to the second half. Um, so Javante Williams was not placed on the pup. Now, and I'm, here's the thing is people have been freaking out. It's like, well, we believe Brees Hall is going to come back and be better than Javante. But the thing is, is this is kind of still protocol when it comes to both of them. And I heard Mike, it was either Mike or Jason of the fantasy footballer say like, this could just be each individual team's procedure and how they handle things. Like Brees Hall hit 23 miles an hour on a GPS the other day. Just so you know, that's speeding in most school zones. Um so, I mean, I think his straight line is at least there, and so he's probably still working back and rehabbing. I wouldn't be worried about that. Just like with Javante's news, I'm not going to be necessarily overly joyed and overly stoked about it because I still need to see more. The types of injury are different, and so that's where, for me, I need to see him. do. And like, like the fact that he's on or not on the pup, fantastic, amazing, love it, happy for the guy. Hope he comes back and, you know, trounces the league. But – you know, being off of the pup could also just mean he's doing individual drills to the side away from everybody, not getting touched, not getting contact or anything like that. And same thing with Brees Hall. Yes. But I just still feel like it's not a time to overreact to either of those players being placed on the pup. And I'll even throw JK Dobbins in there because he was placed on the pup. Like I wouldn't overreact to any of them just yet. Now, if it's preseason week two, and Brees Hall is still in the pup and there's no rumors of him coming back. And, you know, the same thing with J.K. Dobbins or with Javante. He's still, you know, doing individual drills on the side without any contact. That's when you raise the eyebrow and start to get a little bit more worried about what's happening. Sure. No, and I agree with you. Um, I don't think the problem for either of them, yeah, problem is probably too strong of a word. The way I'm viewing it is uh, – Honestly, I, I thought that both of these guys were probably going to be available to play week one for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And they're both certainly on pace to do that. Um, I think my thing is just the expectation that they may be a little bit slower out of the gate, whether that's one week, whether that's four weeks, whether that's six weeks, whatever that looks like. Because we've seen in the past with a lot of people that have torn ACLs, but they've come back. Michael Gallup's a great example of that last year. That's a different position that was fully able to, to come back and play last year, but it was clear that, that he was always – one step behind his previous self and the expectation is obviously that he'll be better this year. So every case is different. There's not a one for one comparison necessarily that you can make that one guy is going to perform exactly like the last mm-hmm. guy. Um, but as far as availability goes, I, I really don't have any concerns that both of them will certainly be there come week one. And then I would expect as the season goes along, they would both continue to show out even more. 
Yeah, I, I still personally have more reserves with Javante Williams. Like, I would still be smashing Samaj P right in, like, the sixth or seventh round in, like, your redraft leagues. Um, just because I, I do feel like, even with the Jets, I do feel like there is a bigger chance for a timeshare for at least a little bit. I just think Brees Hall is in a different category of athletes, in a different category of player than Javante. That's whenever it comes time, like, I think Brees Hall has a much higher probability to just reclaim the workhorse role than I do Javante Williams um, just in the situation. Cause even, you know, just with that, with the Broncos team in general, I mean, Sean Payton, he's used two running backs since God knows when, I mean, you remember Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara, how annoying that was. I mean, even Pierre Thomas and Mark Ingram going back even further. And then even adding in Tavares cadet with that mix, that was an annoying name for all those fantasy managers from like 2015. Um, but so like, that's just kind of my overall perspective. I mean, with the Ravens signing Melvin Gordon, don't worry about it. It's just a camp body. I really don't think he's going to be there. I'd still prefer Gus Edwards, you know, outside of J.K. Dobbins in that backfield. Um, when it comes to the wide receivers, we kind of already hit on Kadarius Tony already tweaking his knee that he did a cleanup procedure with in the offseason. I know that we kind of joke and say, here we go again, but I feel like here we go again. <laughs> Um, don't yep. overreact and say he's not going to be there. But at the same time, this is a guy who through his career since he had that one um, tear or that one major injury with the giants after he destroyed the Cowboys um, since that day, he has not been healthy. He's always had a hamstring injury, always had some sort of lower body injury. I just personally, for me, feel like he's in that category of people are going to talk about him, hype him up, but he's always going to be hurt. Because, um, I mean, we talked about Sky Moore earlier and Rishi Rice. I mean, crap, even Richie James was, like, supposedly the winner of day one of their camp. Um, so, I mean, it's just – it is what it is. Another injury that might have a little bit more applicability to it um, is Amari Cooper. He tweaked his leg. He was – like, I think he walked off the field. But this kind of goes to show the difference between Amari Cooper tweaked his knee. Yeah, whatever, he'll be fine. Kadarius Tony, Kadarius Tony tweaked his leg. Well, his season shot. <laughs> like because right. Amari Cooper doesn't have that depth of well he got hurt once so he's probably just got hurt again just like you know Canary Stoney unfortunately does sure well and, and there's a fine line to walk here because I don't like to use the injury prone label very often I think largely injuries are random and they're hard to predict but that's not to say that there aren't unique situations where there are some players that seem to have you know certain types of injuries more than others. There's mm-hmm. Tony starting to fall into that, that, you know, um, that category, because like you mentioned, it is the same, the same injury that he had a procedure done on the off season. We know he's had issues with hamstrings. Um, Amari Cooper, to that same, to that same thought doesn't worry me as much because he largely hasn't been um, very injury real throughout his career. Now it's not to say maybe it doesn't linger. Um, I'm curious as to your thoughts on the Rashad Bateman um, being on the pup with, I believe, and you may double check this for, is it, is it his foot? Um, it's it's the same foot that he had the injury on um, real quick with Tony. That concern. Yeah. Real quick with Tony since 2021, he's had an ankle sprain, a bruise on his quads, an oblique strain, a shoulder strain, a hamstring strain, another hamstring strain on the same side, by the way. Um, ever since 2021 and now here it is another knee injury but anyways with the last little time we have here so it's not totally uncommon but what he had done because basically he had a cortisone shot in his heel and he was placed on the pup just kind of let things heal up it's 
it's one of those things of it's common enough that it's not uncommon, but it's uncommon enough that it's not common, if that made any sense. Like, so basically they had to go in, take out some hardware, which was once again, part of the plan, but there's still some lingering pain, probably from scar tissue and whatnot. So, I, I mean, kind of like everybody else, I'm not going to freak out about him being placed on the pup, but at the same time with him specifically in that situation, my eyebrows definitely raised a little bit higher because now for me as a Zay Flowers doubter, I have to reevaluate to say, well, if he is, you know, target 1A or 2 behind Mark Andrews, then I got to reevaluate that process just a little bit to see if he raises up. And then Rashad Bateman for the rest of the season and his dynasty value, I mean, kind of is what it is. Yeah, well, and with that context of Rashad Bateman, I really am curious that based on that, I mean, does that start to make your mindset change as far as Zay Flowers is concerned? That if, if that, let's play this game and say that his, his stop on the pup isn't just precautionary and that maybe he's a distance. Yeah, he's a step behind or he's unavailable, which I think is less likely. Let's just say he's a step behind and Odell Beckham is just an old man at this point. <laughs> I mean, at what, point, at what point do you begin to relent on just the fancy value? Don't even, not even taking into account the, the, yeah, ability player, this fantasy production. That's at that standpoint. I mean, for me as a fantasy production standpoint, Zay Flowers would then, for me in like rookie drafts, be the guaranteed one six. I know the yeah. last time we talked about this, I said like if I was drafting by myself, I'd probably take Zach Charbonnet at six just because I'm crazy like that. Um, but if that's the case. I would think Zay Flowers would be the number one receiver, not the number one pass catcher. Probably still be behind Mark Andrews. Um, but I mean, we have seen a couple of things about the Ravens coming out about how it's a four wide offense and Mark Andrews is just playing a big slot. Like, I, I think there's enough unknown about this offense that it's going to be one or the other. It's either going to be jackpots or you're going to be living in a cardboard box. I, I don't think there's going to be an in between because it's all going to come down to Lamar Jackson and how he fares with a different style of offense because he hasn't ran this since Louisville. And even at Louisville, he was playing scrub ACC backups, basically. Was that mm. too, was that too mean to say, <laughs> but like, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm interested enough to say that Zay Flowers fancy value would rise. But as far as a rookie context, I would still take him behind Jordan Addison, Quentin Johnston and all that and company. I just think, it makes it in single quarterback leagues a little bit more of a conversation between like Zay Flowers, Anthony Richardson, Zach Charbonnet for myself. Once the one six rolls around, it definitely makes, makes me pause a little bit faster than I was previously. Right. I, I just wonder that if, if at any point that in consensus, he begins to crack into the receivers ahead of him. I don't think he's, he I don't think see any scenario that he could ascend high enough to get up um, to the Jackson Smith and Jigba no. level. But I could see a scenario where Jordan Addison, who you know was largely wasn't available in minicamp, just had the incident with obviously speeding, which I think is largely hey, a non. It was because his dog was in an emergency. Apparently, that's something I'd race home for. You sure? <laughs> um, I just wonder if say say he gets up to a slow camp and Zay Flowers just blows it out of the water, um, if that starts to become a conversation. But largely, I agree with you that for now he's still pretty solidly, at least for me, at that one six spot, and it makes me honestly. I kind of want to acquire that one six spot because yeah. I know we disagree on this, but just given my perspective to me, JSN is on a tier of his own. And then it's 
Quentin Johnston, Jordan Addison are probably in the same tier, and mm -hmm. then Zay is just like the smallest tier below them. And then to me, it, it really just drops off a cliff in rookie draft up to the 106 because then you're faced with the decision of – Do I take a quarterback I, right here? That could be a tight end I, next year. <laughs> take a quarterback in a one-quarterback league at the yeah. 107. You have to reach for tight end, which despite what you think of the player, is pretty high end for any tight end. Mm -hmm. um, or then you get into like the Zach Charbonnet conversation. So like for me, looking at the way this rookie draft stacks up, I want to have. I certainly want to have the top six picks. And then if I can have the top six picks, then I would just like to load up on like late first, early seconds, rather than just having like one, one seven or one on one oh eight, so on and so forth. And this perfectly spills into our conversation we're gonna have of like rookie ADP risers, and I'm sure we'll throw in followers if we have time. Um, who's gonna, you know, whose rookie value ADP is gonna climb? Because remember, I know I'm tooting our own horn here, but guess what? I'm gonna do it until the wheels fall off because last season. On this podcast, we said multiple times, if Damian Pierce goes to a good situation, his ADP is going to go from like a third round guy to a mid to late first round guy. Well, when by the time draft season rolled around, guess who was a mid to late first round pick in most rookie drafts, single quarterback at least, Damian freaking Pierce. So we're going to try to bring attention to guys that we think could do that. And like, we can just stick with Zay Flowers here because, and we can play the narrative game of, you know, Rashad Bateman, something went set back with his foot, which does not seem entirely unlikely um starts the game or starts the season on a six game pup where he can't play for the first six weeks we can play the game that odell beckham's just washed old man because he's had what like three acl injuries in two years or something like that it feels like um then with that offense there's no one behind them it's just zay flowers mark andrews so like by the time our og draft rolls around september 2nd at three o'clock for all you turds out there listening um if it gets to that point and, you know, we have the confluence of the other thing of Jordan Addison's mysterious undisclosed injuries kept them off of the field. Like for me, as someone who's not a Zay Flowers guy, I would have to make actually convince myself that is Jordan Addison actually the better pick here or is it Zay Flowers? Uh, for me personally, I think his ceiling is capped at 1-5 because I don't see for me him ever getting above Quinton Johnston um, unless just everything breaks off. Um, but – I do think that that would vault him up. And like you said, in single quarterback rookie drafts, that would make me more desire the one five, the one six to get into, you know, get, to get to the end of that quote unquote upper tier players that we've been talking about since February, it feels like. Sure. No, I agree with you. Um, but so do you have a guy that just comes off the top of your head of a guy who's, ADP is just going to fly up the board. Like he can be anywhere on the rookie draft board. Um, just kind of, do you have any one particular player that's in your head that he's going to show up and raise up and make a more difficult decision than currently is? Yeah. Trying to find that Damian Pierce guy, I think is first of all, going to be difficult in this year's rookie draft class. Think about that situation. Yeah. It was a very format. unique situation. Like I'll admit it was kind of a horse led to the water and we drank it, right. but we still call it. <laughs> right. You're coming into a situation where you're not expected to win. So they're probably more likely to play younger players. There's not a whole lot of competition at all mm. for that right position. I mean, how many guys taken in the fourth round of the NFL draft immediately are like, oh, yeah, hey, you're the dude. It's like that <laughs> hardly ever happens. So pretty rare in and of itself. But if I'm looking through the names as somebody that I think could just have something comparable to that kind of ascent from the mid to later rounds, it gets it gets really tough. Mm -hmm. 
when I'm looking through here, I'm going to say probably somebody like a, I know we've talked about him before, but somebody like a Puka Nakua. I mean, let's look at that situation in Los Angeles. This is really a, a team as a whole that seems like it's on the back nine from its time in prominence. Mm-hmm. Defense is going to be much worse, so they're going to have to pass more. Um, we're not sure on Cam Akers, you know, still you know, being somebody that's coming back from an Achilles injury. Um, yes, Cooper Cup is there, but there's not much else behind him and Tyler Higby and Matt Stafford with his injuries and his age certainly seems like he's probably in the back end of, of uh, or the very back end, I should say, of his time span still in the NFL. So, I mean, what's stopping them from incorporating someone like this who we've heard good reports in minicamp? We'll see how he does in training camp, but I could see a scenario that he just – is showing up and showing out so much in training camp that they're just like they just put him in at that wide receiver two spot mm-hmm. and their defense is so bad that they're having to pass quite often and then he can just through that just get production to be a wide receiver three. Um and right now looking at this, he's going ooh, back in like third round, mm-hmm. like early third round, if not further for him right now. That would be correct. So I mean I, I think it's possible. Um, not necessarily likely, but you know, if he keeps up the trend of what we heard previously, then then we'll see what happens. It, 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 that I think that is a good call because, like, I know that I have. Um, sorry, I'm distracted. I know that I have Van Jefferson is like claiming that number two role, but there, that's nothing solved. Like we've been saying that for a couple of years, and nothing has came of it. So that I think there is a role in a position for Pukunakua to be the guy that sneaks up there and like suddenly. If all of a sudden in the camp, you know, you hear that Matt Stafford and he have a consistent connection or you just hear Sean McVay come out and say, yeah, like he's going to be our, you know, our big slot player and just kind of go on from there. Like this is going to take opportunity on an offense that we feel like still is good enough for at least one more year that I think his ADP could creep up into the mid twos, depending on the type of news that we hear right. and depending on just kind of everything that we hear, and you know, circling around that. Um, and right. so – I mean, like, no, like, I like that call. I think it's going to be someone that I will be watching pretty intently on just to see what happens. Um, I think for me, if I had a player that first jumps jumps out of out of the gym for, you know, if you will, um, I think it's – I'm going to say two people and kind of cop out. I think it's Tank Bigsby and Roshan Johnson just because there's just enough – uncertainty in the backfield with Travis Etienne speaking to Tank Bigsby that we've heard about how Peterson wants to have a four running back system. We've now heard the running back coach say that they came out during draft film evaluation and they had to rewind his film several times because they said, Whoa, like this guy's different. This is what we need. This is what we want. Um, So I feel like, and then it's just like, you know, you look at, ETN's history. I mean, he's been in the league for two years. He had a list rank injury and he hurt his shoulder at some point last season. I can't remember off the top of my head. Wasn't enough to take him off the field, if memory serves me correct, but it was enough that it impacted how he played. Right. Taking Bigsby is everything ETN is not. He's like 6'3, 220. I mean, he is a big, he's six foot 215. He is a big physical runner. Meanwhile, ETN, while he might be like 5'11, 210, he gets blown up when he gets hit hard enough and like he goes backwards. Tank Bigsby actually lives up to his name and like the other tank in this draft class. Um, so that's where I feel like with him in particular, I feel like if suddenly we hear more and more, it's like, oh, it's going to be a pretty even split between ET and Tank Bigsby. 
I ask myself, who's most likely going to be on the goal line? It's probably Tank Bigsby. And so I think that could push him up high enough. I know right now he's, I believe, an early to mid-second round pick. I feel like that alone would push him to the 2-1 just for the hypothetical and the what-ifs. I mean, with Roshan, I mean, I feel like his role is pretty obvious. Like, if he comes out and wins that job, then you're going to want that running back, even if it's just a volume-based thing. I mean, if everyone's falling in love with the Bears' offense, you're going to want the guy who's going to be at least available around the goal line when Justin Fields doesn't carry the ball in. So, I mean, I think those are the first two, like, for me, like running backs that jump out of my head. Um, I'll yeah. sprinkle someone else in here in a second. I think Roshan is probably the chalk answer because, I mean, when, mm-hmm. we're looking at, when we're looking at all these options, I mean, he's got the the most undecided backfield that he's a part of. Yeah. Um, that, that Yes, I think, you know, that there would be competition there, certainly. But we could see him having a great training camp and finding a way to, to kind of get in that same position that Damian Pierce was as a guy that was taken, in his case, in the third round. So he's got more draft capital. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just how hard is it going to be to correct that starting lineup? Um, if I'm going down from there to try and find somebody else um, that I think could be a value or at least kind of make that kind of jump, uh, you know, I I still find myself being very interested by Zach Evans. Same. That's the name I was going to bring up. I don't, I don't foresee him being able to make any sort of jump without bad Cam Akers news. I mean, if he if he's goes through training camp perfectly healthy. I don't see much of a way that he can get up that high. But if he just gets through training camp and he has positive reviews, then I think he's going to go higher than the mid-third round, which is where he's going now. Mm-hmm. Um, because like we talked about, with this being a team that we, at least at this moment, we don't think is going to be super competitive, um, who's to say by the time they get in the second half of the season that they're not wanting to incorporate him more in the run game and get him more touches. You know, as many teams that are not great <laughs> start to do at the time of year, um, so he'll be a guy that I'm I'm certainly keeping my eye on as well. Yeah, that was definitely going to be someone that I was going to bring up um, because whenever it comes down to it, like you said, with bad Cam Akers news means good Zach Evans news probably. And so, like, he, remember pre-draft, he was someone that you and I, we saw enough of that I think he was our collective, like, running back four or five, something like that, um, just because of the athleticism alone. So if he's in that situation and suddenly he starts being used and he, you know, tries pretty much, I think he could be a player that would shoot up the draft boards. Like, you know, especially God forbid, if Cam Akers, something else happens to him. Yeah. It might be split between Zach Evans and Kyron Williams, but I would probably want the more explosive athlete of the two. And that would be um, Zach Evans in my opinion. Um, So I'll take the chalky wide receiver answer here. I mean, it's Rishi Rice. I know in single quarterback, as of this moment, behind three tight ends, which I think is a tragic mistake, and according to Sleeper ADP, um, Rishi Rice is sitting here at the 2-4 as ADP. If it, if we keep getting the clips of him making, you know, impressive body catches, by the way, go back to February and hear when your boy here says, I like Rishi Rice as a prospect. Check yourselves at the door before you get on the, the covered wagon known as the bandwagon that I am piloting chance uh, <laughs> uh, but he's made several good contested catches in red zone situations that we've seen um, I know it's training camp I know it's like we don't know necessarily who he was lining up against but we know the guy who was throwing him the football it's number 15 Patrick Mahomes 
father of two. Don't know why that's important, but it is. Um, we just know that whenever Pat Mahomes starts to trust somebody, especially in the red zone, it's someone you pay attention to. And so Rishi Rice, if you know we get into preseason week one and he's not on the field with everybody else, oh my God, everyone's going to flip their lids because that means everyone's going to be like, oh, he's got a role in this offense. Oh, he's going to be a pertinent player. Next thing you know, he's getting drafted at the 1-9, which like we've talked about previously, I don't fault you for doing that right now anyways, but that's going to be his general ADP. And so I do see that being a possibility. And just to speak to, you know, Sky Moore comparisons, I do still feel like I would more lean to um, Andy Reid hates rookies because Sky Moore has come out multiple times and said, I'm actually comfortable this year. I'm not worried about what route I'm running. I just run the route and make sure I'm open. Um, right. So we don't know, you know, because Rishi Rice is a different player anyways, but I just think he's a guy that with enough good hype and just a couple more good things, people are going to freak out because next season they're running their wide receiver room is a question mark. Travis Kelsey every year is getting older and older, which means Pat Mahomes is going to have to throw to somebody else. Right. So with all that being said, wouldn't surprise me if Rashi creeps up into like even the one seven one eight range if things break the right way. Right. Are there any guys that you're looking at that you could see having a significant drop or or a measurable drop in ADP as far as the rookies are concerned? Um, for instance, I could see Anthony Richardson dropping a couple spots um, because, like, God forbid, like, what happens if Gardner Minshew is just simply the flat-out better quarterback and Steichen looks at everybody and says, we're stupid if we play him right now or, you know, he might hurt his development. Um, I personally, and you, I think you agree that Dalton Kincaid – you know, Michael Mayer, Sam Laporta shouldn't be in front of him anyways, just because of rookie tight ends. Um, but I think in all reality, I think Devin A. Chain and Kendra Miller are probably the two guys that I would eye at the most that could just disappear with value. Because like if Dalvin signs with Miami, even with a potential suspension possibly looming, I think Devin A. Chain would drop into like the 2-5, the 2-4, something like that. Great value, but I just think that the immediacy of that – the immediacy of him not being used as much as we thought, but probably just fall him out. And then Kendra Miller, like if Alvin Kamara doesn't get a suspension, um, the, you know, I could see the the narrative be Alvin Kamara doesn't have a suspension, so he's going to be the lead dog. Jamal Williams just signed a how many ever million dollar contract. Kendra Miller's the third guy right now who's still re- rehabbing from an, a meniscus or a knee injury, something like that. So I can see those two players particularly cratering down to the mid twos, depending on how training camp and stuff unfolds. I think, I think for me, it's probably Jonathan Mingo. When I'm looking for players that I think could potentially fall during this training camp season, I'm looking at guys at, at, at how many legs do they have to stand on from the standpoint of, of, of whether it be draft capital or previous production or being early declared for the NFL draft or, or whatever it may be. It, it's how many, how many different things can you stand on top of and say, hey, this is why I'm a good player. When I look at the Jonathan Mingo – for him, it, it's really the draft capital. Now, that may be the most important of all, and usually mm-hmm. it is, in the context of, of who's going to produce. So I'm not trying to knock it and say it's nothing. But I think it becomes easier that with the com- almost the complete lack of production from him as a player coming into the NFL, that if he starts to get negative reports in training camp, that it may be easier for some to say, hey, you know, he's just showing what we already thought he was in college. Whereas if somebody else that had a large portfolio or 
had a lot of stats to back up their draft. So I could say, hey, we know who he is. It's just going to take him some time for him to get there, whether it's true or not. Um, largely in this, I'm talking simply about perception. So I could get that with him. I could also see it with Josh Downs. Honestly, I'm a little surprised that Josh Downs is as high as he is right now, which is yeah. like the 2-6. And I, don't get me wrong, I think he's a really good player. And I think with Anthony Richardson, as he develops, he can be a really good fantasy asset. I just mean that I think it could be easy for him to get lost in the shuffle because he doesn't profile to be that alpha receiver. I mean, even mm-hmm. best case, scenario, he'll always be that slot guy, um, which is nothing wrong with that. Cause obviously there's more and more guys that are dominating in that slot role um, as the NFL evolves. Um, but he just doesn't seem like he's going to have as much name recognition or as much pop as some of these other guys that may have a faster Avenue um, to get, you know, significant playing time at that X spot, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so he'd probably be the other one I'd be looking at. And, and he might be a long con kind of a play because, you know, for instance, if you, if you expect Anthony Richardson to develop as a better passer, Michael Pittman Jr., he's in the final year of his contracts. Alec Pierce, they drafted in like the third round last year. So you, you could play the game to where next year it's Josh Downs, Alec Pierce as Anthony Richardson's wide receiver one and two. Um, like you can mentally have that exercise and it not be absolutely extreme. Um, sure. I think another player that I'll just kind of briefly highlight here, and unfortunately it means I'm going to – probably, you know, throw out one of the guys that I was hoping to keep secret, but if it happens, whatever. It's Michael Wilson from Arizona. Uh, Third-round pick of a new coaching regime, new organization, new thoughts, and right now he is the tallest wide receiver on the roster at 6'2", 213. <laughs> Everyone else is an itty-bitty baby boy. <laughs> um, so for me, like, he's just a little bit shorter than Trey McBride, their second-year tight end out of Iowa, right? That seems right. I want to say you're wrong on this one, but Trey McBride. I'm going to look it up. Unless somebody listened to this that knows instantly. Uh, Trey McBride. Colorado State. So you were wrong because I totally said that first. Well, no, but I'm <laughs> something really ah. not ripped. <laughs> ah. But um, anyways, right now he is the biggest wide receiver on the roster. Like Greg Dorch is tiny. Rondell Moore is even smaller. And then who else? Marquise Brown. He's also small. Yes, he's fast at least. But currently on that roster, if you gave me a list of players that I think could win in a red zone post you up situation, it's Michael Wilson, especially now that DeAndre Hopkins isn't there. They're going to be looking for players to fill roles and I think that Michael Wilson, like he was a good player at Stanford. His biggest thing was just injuries got in the way of his production and he played for Stanford as a wide receiver. Um, right. So that's where I feel like in the fact that he was handpicked by this organization with a high enough draft capital for me that, you know, I take note of, I think he's a name that it's going to be, it, he's not going to be the hottest name. And I don't think he, like he's going to go from basically an undrafted player to a back end of the second. He's one of those players that I've been mentioning when I say, you know, if you don't have a plan for your back end of your second round picks, trade up. He's someone that is a plan because I do see a world to where even next season, whether it be Kyler Murray, whether it be Caleb Williams, that's the quarterback of Arizona or neither, or neither of them, like Drake may, I don't know. The world's a crazy place. It could be Tom Brady as far as we freaking know. Um, he could step up and he has the only player who currently fills that archetype to be the ex receiver for that roster with the size and with the speed and the measurables and stuff. So he's that, that dart throw that you have that you 
could see a little bit of turnaround in 2023, but also more of the play for 2024. If things break your way, you just have an absolute steal with either a projected, you know, fantastic quarterback and Caleb Williams that people are saying he's better than Pat Mahomes, which I think is stupid. Um, and then, you know, or it's Kyler Murray, who's a guy that we've seen consistently produce with DeAndre Hopkins. He's a guy that you could be playing a long con with. And yes, I'm also moving him up on my draft queue as we speak. <laughs> yeah, I want to put one last name on here. I know we, we went past the the riser list, but I couldn't I couldn't let us go without mentioning his name. Um and that is Deneric Prince uh oh, for Kansas City. Talk about a guy that's already getting some high in, in training camp. Now, yes, training camp just started. This guy was drafted in uh oof, it was way back there. He, he uh, wasn't drafted. He was a UDFA signing. I told I told <laughs> um so I mean you're already starting at a point of loss almost right off the bat with an undrafted player. Um, but this is a guy that you may be able to get free on in your rookie drafts, honestly, and unless he takes you know a sizable bump. But it looks like he's already making a push to take that wide, that running back three, which is just incredible. Mm-hmm. If, what, four years into his career, if Clyde Edwards-Alaire gets mm-hmm. beat out by an undrafted running back and he was <laughs> once the first running back taken off the board ahead of Jonathan Taylor, is just wild. Um, but that's the speculation. And then you could see a scenario that if he plays well enough that it's not it's not that difficult to, to probably usurp Jarek McKinnon. No, mm-hmm. no slight Jarek McKinnon. And then it's just Isaiah Pacheco. And as great as Isaiah Pacheco is, he's another guy that was um what was he if he was he drafted later on he, he, he was a seventh round draft pick. Right. So I mean it's not like draft capital is significantly different between those guys. And yes, Pacheco has earned his position and he may very well run with it and be very good even for your fantasy team. I'm just saying whenever we're you know taking context of a guy that right now is not even going in your three-round rookie draft that, I mean, that's a guy that you could put in your draft queue because otherwise you might really forget. Oh, genuinely. And I, and I love that because, like, and we can, once again, we can park it right here for just a second because this is the type of situation that you monitor in the offseason. Like, it's not that we think he's necessarily going to be, like, a running back one or even a running back two. We think, he, I, I would say, if he's a flex player on your dynasty roster – that's a win. That's a home run of a selection oh, or, or a pickup. If an undrafted player is anything on your roster, mm-hmm. it's a win. Um, but when it comes to hit, like you look at the roster state of the Chiefs, CEH has been a bust at his draft selection, both in the NFL and in fantasy. Um, Isaiah Pacheco is a seventh round running back who, like we've talked about, if you don't have like the first round draft capital or second round draft capital, you get replaced like nobody cares. I mean, that's why we're concerned about Damian Pierce with certain running backs going there. Um, well, then there's – Do what? He doesn't, and he doesn't catch passes. And he doesn't catch passes. Then there's Jarek McKinnon, who's 31, and yes, still productive, but he's 31. That wall is most likely coming sooner rather than later for him. Now, you're telling me, like week seven in the NFL, you're telling me that Daenerys Prince is the 1A to Pacheco's 1B – that's not a totally outlandish situation. Um, like, and that's the, like, yes, I know that you have to play a couple dots and you have to have a couple of things bend your direction, but that's one of those scenarios that you're looking at. You're saying, this is where as a fantasy manager, I gain the most value because if you pick him up from waivers or you get him for a third round pick and you flip him for a 2024 two, like that, that's a big win. That's a massive win. Right. 
Well, and it's important to note here that the main thing that he's getting buzzed for in training camp right now is his pass catching ability. Yeah. And that fits in perfectly, at least with the narrative you're trying to create mm-hmm. behind him, is that as good as Isaiah Pacheco is, he could keep being exactly who he is. And then a Denek Prince who shines and really carves out a role as a pass catching back, that's that's something. And quote, to unquote, get that late, worth it. quote unquote from the Kansas City um Twitter or now X. I don't know what to call it these days. X, yeah. Yeah. Is, is it um, is it true? Am I getting am I getting pranked that the term for a what used to be a tweet is now it's spelled X E E T, which to me just makes me want to think it's called seat? Yeet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I will forever call it a tweet, whether I be my stubborn self and just do that, but I I hope we're not getting punked because that's ridiculous. Um <laughs> but um to pop out of my closet. Oh my god, for real. <laughs> um, but like to quote the Kansas City X account, I don't know what the crap to call it. Um, Daenerys Prince doesn't drop anything. Now every time I say X, I'm just gonna feel like I'm talking about someone's like ex-lover or ex-boss or something. It's it's wild. So with kind of the remainder of our time here, gents, is there a player will I'll typecast this that's going in the top five or top six of rookie drafts? We can do super flex or single quarterback, whatever, that you can see, you know, without injury falling out of the top six of rookie selections. So like that's like, you know, Bijan, Jameer, JSN, Quentin, players like that. For me, it's Jordan Addison's the only person that fits that bill. Um, Cause even if we go, even if we go uh, super flex, I mean, let's say Anthony Richardson just is horrific. He, mm-hmm. he is awful. In training camp, I still think because we expect him to be a slower developer, probably than the others, and because of his legs, even that would still buoy him from falling out of the top six. With Jordan Addison, and once again, I want to preface this by saying I don't think this is going to happen because I think he's a great player, but I could see a scenario that Jordan Addison's already the one hundred five in in uh, single quarterback leagues. Mm-hmm. That if he's still hampered by whatever this mystery injury is in minicamp. I mean, say he does get on the field, but he drops a couple passes and he's just not getting great press. I could easily see a scenario that Zay Flowers usurps him, and then it's just a question of, you know, is an Anthony Richardson conversely going to do so well in training camp that he gets taken before one of his receivers? Or is Zach Charbonnet mm-hmm. is balling out so well that he's obviously going to start getting first-team reps and he usurps him? So I, I wouldn't put my money – on any of them falling out of the top six, but if I have to find one that I could try and create a story that could work, then he's about the only one at this point that I can envision it. So I think for me, the name that jumps out would be Jameer Gibbs. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm coming with the sauce okay. today. <laughs> well, it's because, like, first off, I will agree that Jordan Addison was my first selection by far with everything you said, echo the sentiment. Um, the thing about Jameer Gibbs that I am kind of concerned and a little worried about is what happens if, as we get closer to the season starting and stuff like that, we hear that David Montgomery is all getting involved in passing downs because remember he was a fantastic, you know, receiver coming out of Iowa state. He was a fantastic receiver. Every time they targeted him in Chicago, I think he graded out as one of the top five or six pass catchers. Um, I could have made that up on the on spot, but for some reason my brain said it sounded good and a good idea to say it. Someone smarter than that said that at some point. Anyways, um, I do see that there is a world that we could craft 
pretty I mean, without getting way out in the nitty gritty with injury and stuff like that, that we could see that his ADP would drop due to Dave Montgomery's good press. So if Jameer mm-hmm. Gibbs just shows up to the office and does what he's supposed to do, awesome. But if David Montgomery shows up and, you know, Dan Campbell, because remember last season, Dan Campbell was talking about Jamal Williams in training camp. We should have seen it coming. We didn't. And I guess when I just look at the archetype of those players and Dan Campbell, a high testosterone kind of guy that he is, David Montgomery fits that bill of closer to what Jamal Williams was and Jameer Gibbs fits closer with DeAndre Swift. Now, I know it's entirely different players, entirely different kind of conversation but like i think it's just there is a world that we could come up with that dave montgomery is getting 30 red zone attempts because we do anticipate that offense to be flying um to where jameer gibbs is the between the 20s explosive guy that if he doesn't hit a 40 yard touchdown you're getting to the 20 then it's dave montgomery's territory um i guess i can see and that might be more of a redraft take than a dynasty take um because I would still take Jameer Gibbs at the two right now. I mean, single quarterback leagues. Um, but I feel like he is the player for me that I could see and I could have that kind of sentiment moving towards the season that I could see him dropping to closer to like the one three, one four. Because, like, you know, if JSN gets hyped up as, oh crap, you know, they're going three wide every time and JSN's the slot guy, he's burning everybody in camp. Quentin Johnston, same thing. It looks like he's supplanted Mike Williams for, you know, the outside receiver on the two receiver sets or something like that. Like I could, I could talk myself into that world to where those guys scoot up and Jameer kind of falls down a little bit. Right. No, I, I, I get the thought process. Um, I still think it'd be extremely difficult just because. Oh, I agree. But, but, you know, that's, that's what we're doing here. This is effectively. Just trying to find the tiniest, maybe cracks in the yeah. armor kind of story. So I, I get it. But, so, yeah, we've talked about a lot of players. We got a couple minutes left. Is there any random thing you want to talk about? Because we got like a couple minutes left on this timer. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's go about this. This is not even fancy related, but I'm curious. I like so the, the, the big topic that's been come out is the throwback uniforms for a lot of these Ooh. franchises. Right? Uh-huh. The big hub of blue I've been seeing is the is Tennessee having the Oilers throwback, and apparently a lot of people are upset about this because, you know, it's obviously associated with Houston, the Houston franchise, which is what it was previously before coming to Tennessee. But the dialogue seems to be that even if it is the same franchise and movement, that jersey is tied more to the city than the franchise itself. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it not be worn and. I'm curious as to your thoughts because I I understand both sides of it, but, but people in Houston seem to be very, <laughs> very upset about this. So, for me, I I feel like personally, if I'm the Titans, I don't do that because literally it was the Houston Oilers. It's not the Tennessee Oilers. Um, I do love the jerseys though. Like, don't get me wrong, I love yeah. these throwback. I just keep waiting on the the have the Philadelphia Eagles come back to the Kelly Green for a game or two. I think that's the speculation. Isn't I, they, they I hope so, dude. Those jerseys were fantastic. Um, but so whenever it comes to like that particular situation, I'm kind of in the mindset of people can kind of check themselves at the door and get over it because it was the franchise's jersey. But like you said, I also see the argument of it was the Houston Oilers, not the Tennessee Oilers. But personally, I, I don't care. Whatever looks good on the field, I'm happy with. I guess the question would be, 
would it make more sense to you for the Texans to get that throwback uniform or the Titans? Because the Texans claim to it would be, hey, we are the team in Houston, therefore we get to have it versus the actual franchise that moved. Because it's not like it's not like the Ravens are going to have a uh, a throwback a, jersey to the Colts. Throwback to the Colts, yeah, yeah. that's not going to happen. But that would be the same thought process. <laughs> See, and that's where, like, if like for the Houston people out there, you you never had that jersey. That's not your jersey. That's not your team. You are an entirely different franchise. The Houston Texans. You are not the Houston Oilers. That's where I I feel like my only thing in my mentality is it's tied to the Tennessee Titans as they are because right. technically it is in their team's history. The Houston Texans team history is David Carr. That's about as far back as it goes. Right. And to put a nail through the coffin, I guess put I guess to put it in a more something that hits closer to home for us mm-hmm. would be for as 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 people that live in the state of Oklahoma, we obviously are um, home to a transplant team from Seattle. Mm-hmm. Uh only the Sonics, now the Thunder. I can understand if Seattle was pissed if for some reason the Thunder, you know towed it out as a Seattle Supersonics throwback. <laughs> it makes sense from the standpoint if it's the same franchise, but it, it just, it, there would be no tie to this area because we don't have mm-hmm. any connection to Seattle. Whereas those fans who are still without a basketball <laughs> team, um, would probably be super upset. So I, from that standpoint, I understand both sides, but it creates fun dialogue. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, they're really dope uniforms that oh, I'm glad. So, they- I'm so excited. Like bring back the cream sickle baby, the dream sickle jerseys of the Buccaneers. Oh, like, they? The, yeah, they're they they're coming back. I'm stoked for those. So it's them. Uh, the Falcons, I believe, are coming back. I think we're waiting on the Eagles. Uh, who else is coming back? I know that like the Bills. I think the, the Jets. So I don't even know if it's a throwback. It's an alternate, but it's a blue jersey with a black helmet. Oh yeah, it's just, it's just alternate. <laughs> Like black is not in your color scheme at all. Listen, listen. What as long as it looks good on my TV, I don't care what it does. Um, but thanks everyone for listening today. Um, you can find us on Twitter at misfit underscore ff or to our email at the.misfit.ff at gmail.com. Don't forget to leave a five-star rating interview from whatever platform you're listening from because it helps me feel better and sleep better at night. Gents, thank you very much for hopping on. We'll catch you guys next week where we'll, we will preview. Either the NFC or the AFC teams, and like from a dynasty perspective, with a couple of, you know, just tidbits and headlines. But, anyways, that's all I got. I'm tired. We'll catch you guys later. <laughs>